agree this morning that there's great value in counsel. Uh, I think we would all agree with that. And the Bible has a lot to say about the wisdom found in someone who seeks out and applies counsel to their lives. For example, in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says this, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. I love the way the Bible says it's the wise man and the understanding man that has enough sense to go to someone else that knows something they don't and say, Can you please help me here? The Bible goes on to say in Proverbs 11 and verse 14 that where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You see, conventional wisdom in our day and age says if we admit we don't know something or we have a need, that we're weak. We're revealing or exposing a weakness. But from God's perspective, when we come to the point where we say, I need to learn something, I need some help, I I need some wisdom I've yet to develop in my own life, God says that's a sign of great strength. It's a good thing in the mind of God when a person says, I need some counsel. Now, I want you to know today that when it comes to counsel, we need to be very, very careful. I heard a story recently of of two men, and they were sitting on a park bench, and as the story was written, I just kind of imagined two men down on their luck, as we might say, uh, been through every kind of heartache, maybe a homeless type of a situation was the picture I gained as I considered the story. And and as the two men were sitting there, one looked to his friend, and and with real regret, with lament in his voice, he told his friend, he said, when you look at me, you're looking at a man who never one time in his entire life took the counsel that was given to him. And his friend thought for a moment, and he responded, he said, well, when you look at me, you're looking at a man that took all the counsel from everyone that was offered to him in his life. You see, how we deal with counsel is very important. Now the good news for us today is the fact that God in His Word gives counsel. In fact, one of the expressions found in the Bible to refer to itself is the counsel of God. And and God has been careful enough to reveal to us what we need to know in life. God's Word gives us principles that can be applied to the various situations in our lives. And there are other occasions where God's Word is, is so direct we don't have to really work at making an application. It's just spot on accurate. Now our reading for this morning is coming from the book of the Revelation and this is a book of the Bible that perhaps more than any other, now there are many great prophetic books in the Bible, but but the book of the Revelation really tells of the occasion leading up to uh, the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the Bible tells us there's going to be a lot of difficulty, a lot of adversity, a lot of trials and and, uh, it really will be a horrible time in many ways as the world will just be in total chaos and pandemonium prior to that second coming of Jesus Christ. But during the midst of this book, Jesus Christ calls John, who he's giving this revelation to, and and in essence, he says, John, I need you to dictate some letters for me. I want to write seven letters, and I want these letters to go out to seven different churches. And so in the midst of the book of the Revelation, Jesus is dictating these letters, I'd say it that way. He's he's telling John what it is he wants to be written, and and John's writing it down. And and the specific church that will be addressed in the study we're entering into this morning is the church called the church at Laodicea. That was the name of the place. Uh, It's interesting that Laodicea means people's rights. Some people who've studied these things believe that each of the seven letters that Jesus sent out, that they were uh, indicative, they were representative of an era in church history. 
And if that's true, that would mean the final letter, this letter to the church in Laodicea, that it would be emblematic or typical of the day in which we're living. And, and I have to tell you, that sounds pretty close to accurate. We won't talk about the world or the unbelievers today, even within the, the church today, even within the, uh, the various congregations of those that know the Lord and, and, and would say we want to follow the Lord. There seems to be an overemphasis today on, I want it my way, rather than, Lord, we want it to be your way. Rather than an emphasis on holiness that would honor a holy God and would fulfill His will for our lives, many times we kind of think, well, uh, I want to do it the way I want it to be done less of an emphasis on the things of God. And, and, and that would be the church that we find Jesus addressing in the passage before us. And, and we're going to get a little background on this church, but as we do, I want us to begin by reading in this passage together. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. As we look to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading today in verse 14. The Bible says this, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now I'm going to read on, but uh, it might be helpful to identify some of the characters so far in the narrative. First of all, the angel of the church. This is referring to uh, the leaders in the church. And then we find reference of the Amen and the faithful and true, the witness and the beginning of creation. Those are references to Jesus Christ, God the Son. So he's writing to the church, directing his remark there to the, uh, to the leadership. And, and uh, we'll go on in verse 15. Jesus says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I'm rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now I'm going to read on, but we might think, boy, Jesus was really letting him have it. And he was. Um, but I want you to know there was a purpose for each word he used there. A purpose that those living in Laodicea would have understood. Better than we would, because he was directing remarks that would be relevant to where they were. And we're we're going to unbury this together and, and uh, uh, consider what it is that Jesus is saying. But he said, you know, you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And verse 19, Jesus is, is saying, listen, I'm saying what I'm saying because I love you. I'm not trying to be needlessly hurtful here. I, I'm not just trying to cause a problem, to muddy the waters, to rock the boat. He said, I really sincerely do care for you. I love you, and what I'm saying, you need to hear. Verse 20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come 
into him and will sup with him and he with me. I want you to go back, if you would, please, to the beginning of verse 18. And the Bible says this, I counsel thee. Now, all of the Bible is the word of God, every bit of it. Um, the red words, if you have a Bible that has red words sometimes, those are the words of Jesus Christ. Now, they're not more or less the word of God than the rest of the Bible, but this is Jesus speaking. And I love the fact that Jesus in verse 18 said, I counsel thee. How many of you would agree with me this morning that Jesus is probably a really good counselor? Yeah, he knows where we're at and what we're going through and what we need to hear. How many of you have ever heard something you didn't want to hear, but you needed to anyhow? Sometimes Jesus gives counsel like that. And I, I think we can be helped today. Now listen, this is about as unusual a setting as we'll have on a Sunday morning, okay? Uh, we're well taken care of. We've got knights on either side, okay? If I get worn out, i got my throne back there today. That should be good. But uh, if I promise to do my best to work through any distractions, how many of you would say, Pastor, I'll do my best to be with you through the course of this study this morning, huh? All right, let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to learn. And God, I pray that you would help us to glean much from these verses. Lord, I know how my heart has been challenged um, in the study of this. And perhaps if for no other person in this church other than me, I'm very grateful you brought us to this place. But Lord, I know this is not just for me. It's for us. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Each month, Lisa and I, my wife, sit down and we work on a family budget together. We took the financial peace class that our church offered years ago, and we kind of learned that you can either fight about money all month long, or you can just have one budget meeting and get it over with all at once, you know? And so that's kind of the way we do it. We'll sit down in the beginning of, of each month, and we'll plan out our expenses, and we'll plan how we would like everything to go. And we were having one of these financial economic summits some time ago, okay? And, and uh, we were at Starbucks, and we were talking, and, and uh, Lisa said to me in the midst of this meeting, she said, Steve... I think we need a new couch. Now, I really liked the couch we had at the time. Uh, it was old and, and uh, it, it had been well worn, but it had a dent in that couch that was shaped a lot like I am shaped, okay? And uh, it accommodated me nicely. And I, I liked our couch, but I've learned along the way you've got to choose your battles wisely. Man, if you're taking notes today, you might want to get that down. Choose your battles wisely. And so she said, I think we need a a couch and I thought we had a good one but we agreed and so our saving began not too long ago we we got our new couch and I've got to tell you it's a good one too I, I like it and it's comfortable and and as we set it up and we got the couch in the spot that Lisa wanted it to go um, she got real serious with our family and and uh, with with all the conviction that I've ever seen her muster for any statement she's ever made uh, with just as much sobriety and seriousness as she could have she said no food on the couch and uh, now I've got to tell you, I like to eat on the couch. I like to watch sports and sit down on the couch and eat food, eat food. But I've learned years ago, you've got to choose your battles wisely, okay? So I let that one go. Now, not even a week had gone by, and I noticed that Lisa was breaking her very own rule. She was sitting on the couch and eating. And I was going to bring that up to her that she was breaking a rule, but, you know, you've got to choose your battles wisely. So I kind of let, let that one go. Now... As dumb as that story is, sometimes life is kind of like getting a new couch, and I'll explain that. 
We can be filled with passion and we can have big plans, but after a while the newness wears off and all the big ideas and grandiose ideas that we had, after the newness wears off, those plans tend to diminish as well. It can sometimes work that way. That can happen in a life. We can be filled with zeal and enthusiasm and fire and we can tell everybody what it is we're going to do and we're going to name it so that we can claim it and we're going after it in life and sometimes all that enthusiasm it just diminishes spiritually that can happen in a life we make a determination we want to know the Lord I mean really know him and live for him and please him with our lives we know he's pleased with us through the work of Christ but we want to we want to really do well in life but sometimes even spiritually we can kind of begin to become deflated along the way did you know that can happen in a church our church is now a couple weeks away from our 15th anniversary celebration. And you know, I was thinking this week of all the great Bibles in the New Testament that we read about. There were some great Bibles in the New Testament. But where are they today? At some point in the course of their journey, they stopped being what they were. And they're not here any longer. And, and sometimes a church can come to the place where their once red-hot passion for Jesus Christ and the gospel message and living for Him is, is kind of replaced with a contemporary cultural mindset that says, hey, whatever we got to do to keep the people happy as Laodicea means people's rights, so let's just craft a church after the desires of people today and rather than honoring God, we kind of become a temple to worship humanity. Churches can, can lose this. But the great news is this, Jesus took the time to provide us with counsel. Now, I don't know today if his counsel for you will be more of a warning or more of a correction. But I do know this about the counsel that Jesus Christ gives. It always contains a value. It always has a purpose. He never one time uttered a word and had it recorded in his preserved word for us so that it would have no impact at all. I do know that what we're going to study today can be helpful and useful in your life. Now, these particular words were directed to the church in Laodicea. Laodicea was a beautiful city. Historians tell us it was founded by Antiochus II, named after his wife, Laodicea. And, and it was strategically placed on a major river, the Lycus River. It was at the place where three highways came together and adjacent to this river. It was an amazing, amazing city. If you visited Laodicea today... You would find ruins, of course, but you would find ruins of huge theaters and huge coliseums. You would find that in the major thoroughfares, there would still be some columns standing that marked the way of this once elegant city. You'd find the remains of an aqueduct that would bring fresh water from more than six miles away into this city so they could have running water. This was an amazing, amazing community. If you had visited this city in the day, you would find that uh, it was a city worth seeing. There were some elements that they were most proud of, and, and as we think of Laodicea and we think of what you would find, you would see, first of all, if you'd gone there in that day, it was a wealthy community. It was really the envy of the world in many ways in their ability to make money and resources and resourcefulness. But it was also a community that had a medical school and people could be trained there. And, and one thing they did that they were really known for was making salve for eye problems. And it was a place where people the world over could get salve to help with various remedies, especially 
with eyesight. And so they were wealthy. They had uh, this balm, this eye salve that they produced. And they also produced more than any other place in all of the world, black wool. They were in the textile industry. And, and these were three elements that they would have been known for around the world. Now, I don't want to make a stretch to make a point, but to help us understand, I really think that Laodicea was to their region kind of what America has been to the world. And what I mean by that is this. It was a place where you could go to really make something of yourself. It was a place you could go for a new beginning, a fresh start. There were opportunities to be had in Laodicea that weren't as plentiful in other places of the world. But we discover from what Jesus said that this church, in their, in their region, they'd lost their edge. Clearly, as they got started, there was a lot of purpose and a lot of passion and a lot of zeal. But somewhere along the way, this church, they kind of became a little bit lethargic and a little bit complacent. And what was so important to them in their beginning became less important as they pressed on. And so as Jesus dealt with this church, He made some statements that will help any life, any family, and yes, even Coastline Baptist Church. I want us to think of what it is that Jesus said. If you have your outlines nearby, he begins in verse 15 by saying this, I know, I know. Jesus said, I know. Now listen to how Jesus, Jesus put this. He said this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. He said, I would that uh, thou wert cold or hot. In other words, I, I'd prefer you were one or the other. Jesus goes on, he continues to say to them, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now I've got to tell you, I thought, surely Jesus can't be saying what it sounds to me like he's saying, and I studied it, and yes, he is. He's saying this makes me sick. I mean, the idea there is vomiting, and, and if it sounds like Jesus is being exceedingly very direct, maybe even painfully direct in this text, it's because he is. We kind of have a 21st century modernized version of what it is we'd like Jesus to be, but among other things, he's God. And he found a church that was abandoning him, and so he comes in with candor and clarity, and he lets them know that what they've done is wrong. You're not hot and you're not cold. He says, I know. I know. I've had more than a few visits over the years where I've had an appointment with with people in our church and when I've arrived they forgot I was coming and that's always awkward for both of us you know and I've had times where I knocked at the door who is it you know <laughs> yeah it's Pastor Steve <laughs> one minute we'll be right with you you know you hear things being thrown in closets and door slamming people running around and and most of you know this but if you don't I'll let you in on on this uh, not a secret I'm not a big deal at all God is an enormous deal and he says, I know. I can see. I know what's happening. In the Gospel of Mark, the Bible, the Bible puts it this way, Mark 4, 22. There, there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. The word manifested means to be brought into the light. 
so there's nothing hid it's all coming out into the light neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad the Bible makes it clear that Jesus knows now if we were to ponder what a lukewarm life or church would look like I think there are some tell tell signs for example a lukewarm life would be a life maybe that's just going through the motions no real purpose not fulfilling what God has given them to do no heart no passion just motions in a church I think a lukewarm church would would be evident if we were just to think through our services probably by the way they sing to the Lord and I've got to tell you I don't know if there's any greater barometer of where a church is collectively in their spiritual health and how we sing praises to the Lord and, and I'd imagine a lukewarm church would probably be pretty lukewarm in the way we praise I think a lukewarm church would probably have a lukewarm pulpit where a lukewarm pastor stands up and, and delivers messages that maybe aren't as thoroughly biblical as they should be, directing people to Jesus Christ as they should. Maybe a little more self-help, psychology type of thing, not so much the meat of the word. I would imagine in a lukewarm church that not only would the pastor not call people to make a decision for Christ, but I believe probably there would be very few decisions being made for Christ. And I want you to know that I've been very intentional by God's grace. I hope this will remain in the next 15 years. It's my desire every time I open the Word of God and teach our church family uh, that, that I would call people to decision. I don't, I don't apologize for that. I, I want this to be a place where when the time comes in our lives where we need to make a decision for God, that we'll do it. I, I'm very happy at the conclusion of each message to call people who have yet to trust Jesus as their personal Savior to a place where they will accept Him and trust Him. I want to invite believers to follow the Lord in baptism and, and those who have been baptized to be discipled and to grow in the Lord. I have every intention of calling each of you every week to discover what's that next step that the Lord would have you to take and then to take it I'd imagine a lukewarm church would be a place where there's very few decisions of any kind being made for the Lord I'm sure it would be a place where there's a lack of prayer lack of an emphasis on uh, communing with the Lord in that way and asking him to do what we could never do without him I believe a lukewarm church would be a church where soul winning that's something the missionaries do that's something we pay other people to do but no we don't personally share our faith I think in a lukewarm church our our giving would be very weak very tepid that'd be a lukewarm church it's interesting that Jesus just cut to the chase. And I mean, Jesus said to them, Hey, I wish you were either hot or cold. Pick one. I wish you were one or the other. I would thou wert cold or hot. No, I've heard a lot of messages over the years who will key in on that expression and say, Jesus was saying you need to get fired up for the Lord and, and uh, you need to uh, become hot for God once again. And, and in essence, I think that's a fair application. I'm not sure, however, that is exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. I mentioned earlier that this city of Laodicea was a city that had an aqueduct. And they were known as a place where water was brought in. But it's interesting, if you'd gone seven miles north to a city called Hierapolis, you would have found a city there with hot springs. And people in this region would have understood this. It was a place where you'd go to get hot water. Why? Because there's a value. There's a benefit from hot water. And so people would go there to enjoy that. 
And if you were to go about 10 miles south from Laodicea, you'd come to the town of Colossae. And Colossae was a place that was known for their cool water. And people would go there for the cool water. Why? There's a benefit. There's a blessing. There's a value from cool water. People enjoy hot water and people enjoy cool water. But lukewarm water is not always the benefit that we would think it could be. I want us to say that Jesus is literally saying here that it makes him sick when he has enabled and empowered churches to be a blessing and they're not and i really think this text should lead all of us to examine our hearts we we should echo the words of of david when he said in psalm 139 search me oh god and i'm going to read on but i just can't get any further than the word search me to remind you that the human author of this text was david the shepherd boy who became a king. And as a shepherd, he would have had so many occasions where the sheep would have been re-entering the fold. And as was the custom of the shepherd, the, the, the staff would have been held out and the sheep would have passed under. And there was a word, it's this word search, that the shepherds used, it means part the wool. And David would care for the state of his flock and of his lambs, and so he would part the wool to make sure that there was nothing going on even beneath the surface. He was getting real. He was getting authentic, if I can use that analogy. Parting the wool, looking deep. And so this shepherd comes to God and he's saying, God, I'm a shepherd in this sense, but spiritually speaking, you're my shepherd and I'm your sheep. And God, I need you to part the wool of my life. Get past the veneer, get past the facade, get past the surface. Please look deep into my life. And God, would you reveal to me what it is you see because I don't trust my own eyesight. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why could David pray a prayer to God where he says, know my heart? It's because he knew that God knows our hearts. God knows us better than we know ourselves. You see, often the last one to know they're lukewarm is someone who's lukewarm. Because the drift is gradual. Listen, I want you guys to know this. When I prepared this message, there was someone in our church that I was grief-stricken over, that I was concerned about. And it was me. Because our hearts can drift so gradually that we don't even know we're losing ground. And I don't have the ability to know my own heart without the help of God, nor do you. And I don't want to get halfway through a Christian journey in my life and detach from the Lord. I want to draw closer to the Lord. And it's not natural. Progress begets friction. Friction reduces progress. It can, it can hinder us. And, and so many people in their, in their Christian lives have grown, they've done well, and then all of a sudden they just drift away. And it's always amazing to me how people that drift away from the position they once had the position that they previously held seems ridiculous to them and they have an utter disrespect for anybody who is where they once were that can happen to a church it can happen to a family think of that so Jesus said I counsel I counsel 
His counsel was that they would return in their heart to Him. His desire was that they would focus on spiritual things and find their strength in God. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I mean, if Warren Buffett were here today handing out financial advice, I think every one of us would do well to get in line and spend all the time necessary to get a counsel, to get counsel from someone with a financial mind like that. But better than that, we have Jesus Christ, God the Son, extending counsel. In Colossians 3 and 17, the Bible says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him counsel as we continue looking here we see that Jesus was interested in helping these people to know and to grow it's interesting when we look to see what their problem was uh, how, how they came to be that Jesus addressed their need in an interesting way in verse 17, I want you to look there if you would, please. He said, because thou sayest. Because thou sayest. We would say the problem with this church was, oh, their lukewarmness. They weren't hot, they weren't cold. Jesus said, no, that was the effect. There was a cause that led to that because thou sayest. Jesus said, you know, you've said some things that uh, are indicators. What did they say? Well, the Bible tells us they said this, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's what they said. That was what came from their heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. They said, well, we're rich. We've got a lot of stuff. Man, we don't, we don't need a thing. And so Jesus added to that by saying this, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable. And here's what Jesus said. You're poor and you're blind and you're naked. Now, if we were to interview the Laodiceans and say, hey, tell us about your place, they'd say, oh, man, we've got an economy that's rolling, man. It, it just won't stop. It's moving. It's great. We've got all kinds of money. And Jesus would say, well, no, from my perspective, you're poor. And they'd say, well, we do have a medical school. People come here to learn uh, the medical profession. They, they learn about ISAB. It, it really, it's, it's a great thing. We, we can really help people with their eyesight. And Jesus said, well, actually, you're blind. And they'd say, but let me tell you about our textile industries, man. We produce wool like nobody's business. And Jesus would say, nope, you're naked. See, everything Jesus said was helping them to understand that the area they perceived to be the strength in their life was actually the area of their weakness. They trusted in material things or the flesh more than God. And let me tell you something about your flesh and my flesh. It's incapable of pleasing God in any way. It cannot be done. The resourcefulness of flesh cannot honor God. And, and Jesus was helping this church to understand that they'd really diminished to a group of people that felt good about what they had and how they perceived themselves to be. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying a short time before the crucifixion? The number of the apostles at that point was 11. Judas had been gone. And Jesus took three, left eight behind. He goes to pray. Do you remember what the three did when Jesus was praying? They fell asleep. One of the three, who was really the spokesman, a man by the name of Peter, needed to have an encounter with Jesus at this moment. And in Mark chapter 14, 
uh, the, the Bible says this, Jesus speaking to Peter, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but, Peter, the flesh is weak. Now, Peter wouldn't have understood all that Jesus was saying. Peter would have said, I'm a tough guy. I'm a strong guy. If there's not a way, I'll make a way. Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. Peter says, oh, no, you're not. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to take care of it. I can do anything. And Jesus said, Peter, you really need to learn a lesson. Your flesh, like everybody's flesh, is weak. And later on that night, Peter did come to understand when he denied our Savior for the third time. The Bible tells us that it just so happened he turned around and it just so happened that Jesus, uh, off in, in, in the distance in the house of Caiaphas, turned around and in that split second as Peter denied Jesus for the third time, in that instant their eyes caught. And Peter thought, how weak am I? I'm weak. You see, Jesus tells us it's good for us to come to the place where we'll acknowledge that we're weak. Jesus continues on in what he says here, and I want you, if you would, please, to uh, look down to um, verse 20. Jesus says here, I stand. Now, specifically, look, look at what it is that he says. He says, I stand, but specifically, he says, behold, I stand. Now, the word behold is kind of like someone saying, look here, look here. It's kind of like the the gaze of the church family was kind of maybe looking down. And and so Jesus says, hey, look here, I'm standing right here. Look here, take note, I'm right here. He was standing. Now, of the seven letters that Christ dictated to John, this one's the most famous. I've wondered why. Uh, It's the only of the seven where Jesus said he he could have puked essentially okay that would make it uh, pretty famous all by itself right you know how many times did jesus say the church made him want to throw up one as far as i know so that's that's interesting so that would make it famous there's another reason i think why this passage has become famous it's because when jesus said behold i stand and he went on to speak of knocking many artists over the years have allowed that that word picture to serve as a literal painting and uh, maybe you've seen the picture of Jesus standing there and, and, and knocking. And uh, it's interesting. Jesus says in this text these words. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice. And we have to get the conditional statement. All right? He said, If any man hear my voice and open the door, then I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus is being very emphatic here on what it is he wants this church to know. Now, many have allowed this verse to serve as kind of a verse we can use when we share the gospel. And we'll tell people, Jesus is standing at your heart and he's knocking on your heart. Again, that's a really nice application. That's just not the interpretation. In this passage, Jesus is not standing in front of somebody's heart, knocking on their heart. He's standing outside of a church. A church. Imagine that. A group of people gathering together under the purpose of worshiping Jesus Christ... And they're too busy to answer the door that Jesus himself is knocking at. Can you imagine a church coming to that place? It's a frightening thought for me to think that a church can get so far off track that practically speaking, Jesus would not be welcome if he showed up. If Jesus came to preach, we wouldn't like his sermon. If he came to sing, we wouldn't like his song. If he wanted to fellowship with us, we wouldn't want to spend time with him. It's a frightening thought to think that a family or a home or a church can become so far removed that Jesus would have to say to us, you know, I'm standing on the outside 
I'd like to be with you. Now the good news is this, Jesus is still standing. In verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You see, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm saying this to you not because I'm angry, but because I care. And I do want to help you. And, And he's saying to them, essentially, guys, listen, you're not what you once were. At one time, you just, you had a heart that wanted to know me and a heart that wanted to serve and be a blessing to others. And and you're not doing that anymore. You've become into a group of people that are more interested in your own desires than ministering for me and and to others. Think of that. Friends, I want you to know today that Jesus is such a gracious Savior that He allows for mid-course adjustments and U-turns when we've gotten off track. And we do get off track. And so he says, I love you. And probably that was a message that didn't want to be heard. I'd imagine somebody was clucking their tongue when that letter was read, but they needed it as we do. And Jesus is still standing in love. But the question for us today is, will we be zealous, therefore, and repent? And and that's what Jesus said. And we could say, well, wait a minute, who needs to repent? And to that, I'd say every single one of us, you know? Someone could say, well, Pastor, that sounds a little condemning that you'd suggest that everybody needs to repent. Well, I think that your condemnation of my statement as having been condemning is condemning on your part, all right? Say, you're judgmental. Your judgment is judgmental, all right? If we want to play that game... I'm not quoting my own words here. This is Jesus. And and he says there's a need in our lives to repent. Romans 3.10 says, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. The passage goes on in Romans 3.23 to say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Repentance has been defined in so many ways and many have done a great job defining it. I really like to see repentance this way. It's us agreeing with God. Even when his assessment of us is different than how we see ourselves. I can rationalize anything. But when I have a heart that says, God, would you show me me? And his picture is a little different than what I'm seeing when I look in the mirror. Really, it's saying, God, I agree with your assessment of me, even when your assessment of me means I'm dead wrong. I'll I'll adjust to be where you'd have me to be. These people had money and eye salve and wool, but they found that Jesus could never be bought or earned or deserved only by grace could they enjoy him it's been freely given it must be freely received they found their security then in their identity in him they could see clearly uh, why because of his touch not anything they'd done in themselves and through faith they were clothed not in black wool but in white robes of righteousness the bible would say jesus can do a great work in our lives just about every week as our services are done, uh, I'll, I'll get you know, some, some comments on the day. Just about every Sunday, somebody tells me, just about every Sunday, somebody tells me, it's cold in there, all right? Say, it's cold. And, and uh, that's what they've taken away from the day. It's cold, you know? And uh, almost in equal numbers, someone else will tell me, it's a little warm in there today, Pastor, you know? Almost equal numbers, you know? And, um, and so I, I listen, and I agree with both of them. Hey, I'm a pastor, all right? You got to 
got to keep peace in the flock. So someone says it's cold. I know, boy, it's cold. You know, someone says it's hot. I know. It. You know it's, I just kind of agree with them. You know, it's their opinion. So how can I disagree with their opinion, right? Uh, I also hear a lot, boy, it was just so loud in there today. So loud in there today. Boy, it's, I'm sorry. And then someone else will say, you know, I couldn't hear today. Couldn't hear today. Well, it was not loud enough. Uh, really, I hear, I hear almost all of these almost every week. And um, the fact of the matter is we didn't build this room as an auditorium. It was here before we got here. And, and we do our best. And, you know, if, if it's loud or quiet, look up. If you see a speaker and you think it's too loud, maybe move. You know, and if, if, you, if you can't hear, maybe go find a speaker and sit underneath it. If you find a vent that's blowing and you're cold, maybe move. You know, maybe that may be a solution. But for those who say it's too cold or too hot or too loud or too quiet, I want to say this. It is Ryan Gass's fault, okay? Everybody loves the music guy. He never has to take a stand on anything. He just stands up and sings. And so I decided today I'll throw him under the bus, okay? It is Ryan Gass's fault. Um, but we almost always take away something from a service and we make a comment. O- occasionally, the comments are very encouraging. Now, obviously, I, I hope you've sensed today, the Lord's really, really teaching me how much I, I need what I'm sharing today. And, and I want that for our church. I talked with a family a few weeks ago who visited uh, our church that Sunday, and they'd been members way back in the early days. Back in the early days when I was the music guy, okay? That, that's how early those days were. Community-centered days. When we didn't have one ministry... Uh, it was just a few people getting together around an open word of God and, and that was it. And it was wonderful, by the way. And, and they, they were leaving a few weeks ago after having been a member years ago in those earliest of early days. And when they left, they said, it's just like it used to be, but... And I'm thinking, oh great, what now? They said, but bigger. And I thought, I hope they're right. I hope their assessment of coastline is right. Now, naturally, there's a lot we've wanted to change over the years, and there's a lot of changes we'll make in the years to come. But I hope our basic DNA remains the same because as imperfect as we were then and we still are now, there was a real passion to know Jesus and to make Him known. And the desire for the establishment of a church wasn't for personal or selfish reasons it's because there was a group of people that thought a lot of Christ and just wanted other people to to know him too how about you and your Christian life has there been a time where you were a little more passionate or interested in the things of God than you are now maybe the counsel of Jesus would be helpful how about your home how about your home you know sometimes the spiritual quotient, the acumen of our homes, it, it can just shift radically. And maybe today, maybe today the counsel of Jesus Christ would say, listen, you need to stop letting all the cursing and immorality come into your living room by way of the television. Why don't you, why don't you police that a little better? And why don't you introduce prayer once again? And, and, and maybe it's in your home. Maybe there's been a drifting far removed. And, and maybe we would be shocked if we really saw it the way God did. At one time, maybe we were so interested in things and then that drift comes. That drift comes. And before we know it, we can even in our hearts be mocking people that hold a position we once held. Wouldn't it be great today if we, like David, said, Lord, would you search my heart and help me, help me see, God, what I need to see? Because I'm not trusting myself in this area. And as our church 
prepare to celebrate 15 years, wouldn't it be great if in our hearts we just said, Lord, help us to have a passion here for you. Help us to have a church that lives for an audience of one, and that's you. Lord, help us to be good to those around us because we love you. And I think as we come through a season, that would be great. You know, Jesus closed his remarks here in verse 22 by saying this, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Friends, may we allow the words of Jesus to make an impact in our lives. And if we're becoming tepid or lukewarm in some way, may this be the day of revelation, we see it, of repentance, we acknowledge it, and of revival, the day of new beginnings. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to